So this has got to look incredibly suspicious. Like gay suspicious or crime suspicious? I think all sorts of suspicious. Gay crime. <laughs> so what Brian's saying is, rather than our usual nicer view of the eye candy walking by the street where we usually have been podcasting in this area, we decided to huddle ourselves in the corner of a closed tailor shop in order to try to shield ourselves from the wind. We're huddling over the podcaster kind of like, I don't know, maggots eating at the carcass of a dead animal. <laughs> Trying to shield it from the wind. I bet we're going to be very unsuccessful. but I have a feeling we're going to be fairly unsuccessful. We're going to give it the old college try. Sure. You know, the, the, the Tolarian Academy the try. The old ITT Institute try. The, the Tolarian Academy try. Sure. This podcast will soon be banned. <laughs> Speaking of banned... Yeah. What happened with that Nationals this weekend? So, there, there was no bannings at the na- no, 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 Nationals. No, 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 I know, not yet, right? I don't think there will be. It didn't sound I, it that did, way to it me. It seemed weird to me. Like, it didn't seem, sound like they did anything deliberately cheaty, right? Is that... So, uh... But I, 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 I can't really tell from so, the coverage. So, the story, the story from the coverage is that Yuta Takahashi and uh, Kazuya Mitamura, her Honolulu winner. Pretty big name in the game. Both are pretty... I mean, Takahashi's got multiple top eights to his name, right? I mean, I can't look it up to be sure, but I mean, he's, he's he's kind of a deal. Uh, I don't know if he's big, medium, or small, but, you know. <laughs> we'll call him a medium deal right now. Big deal in, in terms of uh, Mitamura. But we're, uh, we're disqualified from Japanese nationals, I guess, like in the final rounds... So it's a, of the Swiss. A miscommunication about a concession? Uh, it sounds like they had agreed to, you know, maybe one of them had agreed to concede to the other, and then they disagreed and changed their minds, and there were takebacks, and then no takebacks, and then a judge was called. And then, but they started a game. But, I mean, why did they start a game? I, I thought that the, the penalty was levied when they started an extra game. That's what happened. Right, right, right. right. I guess I have no idea. I mean, it is it is clearly a deliberately vague written statement, too, because there's still like a pending DCI investigation. Because it and, seems to me, anyway, like we can be talking about yo, I'll concede to you. Not I'll concede to you if for just I'll concede to you, and that's okay. I'm allowed to do that for whatever reason I want, and you're allowed to ask me to concede to you, right? right. Both of those things are true. And if we haven't started the game, I don't know why there would be a. An issue, like, I think it's, I don't know if this is illegal, but I've seen it happen a lot. It's pretty common for, like, two dudes in position to, like, sit there and shuffle their decks, shuffle their decks, and see who gets up in the last round for the Swiss. Yeah, like, I, don't, I don't believe you're then, supposed to actually I mean, do that. Peop- I'm yeah. not saying I ever did it, but, yeah. I mean, people do it. They're like, oh, I'm still shuffling. And then they look around, and depending on how many people get up, then they make a decision about what they're going to sure. do, you sure. know? Play, draw, but concede, people can whatever. even start playing, and you'll see that all happen all the time. They'll they'll say, "Oh, we start playing," and then they see how a couple of results shake out to the left and to the right, and then and they're like, "Oh man, this is the, oh they played and he lost draw." This is the slowest red deck wins draw I've ever had. You know, right, right, right. <laughs> all of a sudden you have lethal damage on the stack, and you're like, "I concede to you, my friend." R D B I T. Yeah, red deck bides its time. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, it seemed uh, just real strange to me, especially the caliber of player that was being uh, discussed. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a, like like I said, you know, it's funny, people always confuse suspension, banning, DQing. I mean, I know the difference between I, suspension I, and DQ. I was just saying, speaking of banning, yeah, 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 yeah. sorry if it was a yeah, no, but, but imprecise I mean, segue. But I mean, I think there were people who, on 
the uh, who on Twitter were, were you know don't always see the difference between a DQ and a suspension. Mm. You know, they just assume that one follows the other. Like you can be DQ'd from a tournament without having any intent of cheating. Right? You could still just unknowingly do something illegal. I mean, you could preside board by accident, right? You know, or something like that. Yeah. Start with nine cards in your hand on multiple occasions. Yeah, there, there's usually some intent behind <laughs> that. One. So, uh, I mean, I guess it's kind of interesting because uh, the discussion about about, about this had come up. I'm getting closer to you on purpose. I'm not. I understand. I was moving in as well. No, you're you're moving away from me in some sort of fear of my. I don't know, man musk. <laughs> so, Maggoty uh, man musk. <laughs> so, I mean, Hall of Fame ballots went out. I don't want to talk about it. You don't want to talk about it? I think I'm going to keep my ballot to myself this year, which yeah. is the opposite of all, all previous years, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I read some ballots, and uh, I think that uh, I'm going to have to double back on some stuff that I might have said to some people, and I'm definitely going to have some hurt friends, so... Just okay. not going to say anything about it. Okay. Uh, I bet you would approve of my ultimate decisions, but... Okay. I can, I can tell you my 80% ballot. I, 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 let me guess on you so far. Okay. I will guess Anton Yonson. Yep. On mine. Shui Nakamura. Correct. Steve Omohoney Schwartz. Correct. So, let's... What do you got left? I actually might vote for Sushi Akita this year. Uh, I gotta tell you, Akita Akita's on my I mean, short list for the fifth spot. I'm, I'm looking, and he, he looks he looks good to me. The problem that I have is I have a lot of people who I like who have exactly the same statistics. Like there's within, there's a there's a there like, are a clump of four PT. Yeah, I don't want to say which <laughs> Pro Tour winners have the same. There are a couple people who I really want to vote for. Who don't have three-year median finishes? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wait, wait a minute. This dude doesn't have a three-year median finish, and this dude doesn't have a three-year median finish. These these things might affect my balloting. There, there, there's a clump of American players. I'm going to assume. That I'm some not of the saying players, if they're American or not. I'm going to assume I'd say they're the exact same freaking stat. Line. I'm going to assume that some of the people <laughs> you're talking about are Mark Herbaholtz, Osip Levadovich, Patrick Chapin. Uh, Ben Stark and Paul Ritzel have both... Wow, you have <laughs> named many players that I was thinking about. I've <laughs> all sort of... Those those guys have made a, a push for themselves, certainly in the last two years. I mean, I, I think that in the early part of the 2000s, Ben Stark was among the best players He was among the, the best again. Right. And, I, it, it, and he's, he was one match out of top eighting... He's one match out of top eighting uh, Nagoya. Paul, I mean, Paul's so amazing, too. I mean, it, here, here's, here's my... Just on two of the players you mentioned. So basically, Mark has one more Pro Tour top eight than Osip. Osip crushes Mark on every other statistic. It, I mean, they're not close on any other statistic, but Mark has an additional Pro Tour top eight. Sure. So, I mean, that's one thing. Because, like, well, how valuable is that versus Osip's superior Grand Prix record? You know, versus Osip 20 spots better on three year median. 20 better. You know, Osip compares pretty favorably. Heasy might have hurt himself with his career retrospective, you know, in which he's like, hey, and then I went out and got drunk and didn't do that well down the stretch of that PT. Oh, by the way, here's my median finish. (laughs) Osip looks really good compared to some of the best players in the game ever, except for the fact that 
I mean, if he has a paltry three Pro Tour top eights, is that really how we're going to... So who, who's ahead of him? Anton and Shuey? Yep. Uh, Anton, Shuey, and uh, and uh, Mark. And Chapin. And almost everyone else that we would consider voting for is pretty comparable in... Like, Osip's three-year medium finish is very... It's what, it's very strong, right? Right. And then he has, like, ten Grand Prix top eights or something like that. Yeah. Like, that's a, that's a ton. Like, in, for the sub-Schwartzman, sub-Marita uh, sub players, you know, right. like, there's... And and strong community contribution. I mean, he, he, he did a lot of writing. Another player with amazing statistics is Antonino De Rosa, except for one Pro Tour top eight. Sure. Like, there's... Hey, there's a lot of hurt feelings on this ballot, let me tell you. So I was going through, just going through the Player of the Year uh, archives, yeah. looking at all the different Player of the Years. Every single Player of the Year who's become eligible for the Hall of Fame, so that doesn't include Paul McCabe, who only has 75 lifetime pro points. So he's never been You're eligible for the Hall of Fame. He's awesome. Yeah, I, I talked about him in my column last week as actually just being... Like, there was just a point where you were like, oh my god, Canada's unreal. They've got Paul McCabe and Gabe Sang, the two, like, best Magic players on Earth. Oh, what about uh, uh, Paul McCabe, the playtest partner, who won Pro Tour in New York? Terry Borer? Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about Terry Borer. He was also really good. I mean, I remember playing McCabe at my first Pro Tour. It was McCabe's birthday. He told me we were playing. Uh, I was playing next to Worth Walford, who was my roommate. Looks over, and he, like, like, just nods his head and walks away. And I just had the nuts draw against McCabe, and I was pretty sure I was going to crush him, and he crushed me instead. Yeah. And I, 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 I still look back on the match, and I'm like, how did I come back? I guess, I guess McCabe just played more necropotence. <laughs> he came back in the situation that I, I don't know how it. Ha- I mean, at the time, anyway, I wasn't sophisticated enough to really understand how much better his deck must have been than mine. Sorry, Pakula. <laughs> You know, Chris Bakula and Worth were the primary designers. I mean, Chris made top eight, worked the top 16. Obviously, those guys far outstripped me in skill. Um, then again, I was the only one of the three of us who played against you know, multiple people who made the top eight, and right, <laughs> including right, right. McCabe. Um, so, uh, and I mean, Worth got some white weenie matchup next to me. But I just remember, I got like the nuts draw, and then McCabe beat you with like Eastern Shade and Serrated Arrows, these slow-ass cards. So, so the, my point of this is, so other than Paul McCabe, who's not been eligible to be inducted to the Hall of Fame. Everyone who's been eligible to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, who's won a Player of the Year title, has done it. Has gotten into the Hall of Fame, except for. So I mean, notably absent from the Hall of Fame is Tomohara Saito, but he got elected there. <laughs> right? It just didn't stick. Uh, no, no, notably missing that is Shouty Yasuoka, who only has one topic. But. But Shout is on a run this year. So that, this is my point, right? What's going to happen? At, we get to the end of the year. We're doing the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and Shadi Yasuoka is sitting on his second Player of the Year title. I mean, he's in fourth place right now, or fifth place right now, based on getting four more points at Japanese Nationals this weekend. So here, this is actually segueing very nicely into some a discussion I've had with some really smart players over the last week. I think we way overrate number of top eights. I think. I think it's actually probably a horrible delimiter. And you and me, as members of the Magic Media, we celebrate the top eights because it's a... I mean, first of all, it's Sunday, it's the elimination round. Sure. Especially for top eight deck discussion, it's really valuable in terms of constructing a narrative. But, like, you look at the stat lines and, like, at the end of the tournaments, the difference between 
eighth place and seventeenth place is one match. Often no match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like seventeenth place is the same as if eighth you, place. If you you look at my history as uh, a commentator on the Pro Tour, and I don't mean just as like a web commentator, yeah. but like also as someone who writes about the Pro Tour and sort of discusses the Pro Tour, you'll see this thread throughout, which is really pointing towards people's top thirty twos, top sixteens. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I think like, that they're super important. Like a seventeenth is a top thirty-two, and it's the same as a top eight. I'm like, right. that's unbelievable to me. It, it, but it's commonplace in some Grand Prix. Like in the, I, I meet Fabian Tila at uh, Pro Tour Nagoya, right? And you know, we're talking, and I was like, "Oh, so is this your first Pro Tour?" And he's like, "Oh no, Paris was my first Pro Tour." <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, how'd you do?" And he's like, "Oh, twentieth." Shrug. <laughs> right? And I'm like, twentieth is it's like. People play their entire careers on the Pro Tour, staying continually qualified for the Pro Tour, and would kill for that 20th place finish. You know what I mean? Like When I got my 17th, I was pretty happy. Teams? Yeah. Yeah, teams. <laughs> Screw you. We're not friends anymore. Uh, I, mean, that's where my, I mean, that's where my 13th comes, so. Same tournament. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, the, the thing that I... I the bulk say, of my... 13 lifetime pro points. The, the thing that I, I would I would say is um, the, the example I gave was like take Kai. You know, a lot of people say Kai's the best ever. I think that's a defensible thing to talk about. But do you? That's a, you think that's defensible? I think it's defensible. I don't know if I would necessarily agree. I think it's a defensible position. He is one of a single digit number of players that you could legitimately say is the sure. best player. Like how much better? Is Kai than Speed? It's the question I would ask. But not how much better is Kai than Gabe, or how much better is Kai than John or Bob, just than Speed. I mean, I think most people hold Speed in, in. Not to Kai level. Not to Kai level, but in similar class. But the thing is, you can't just look at. No. You can't just look at, like, Zvi's skill or Zvi's performance. You also have to look at, like. Zvi's impact? Z- these ability to go to these events week in, week out, month in, month out, perform well, put in the work, and that's not something that we did. So, that, so what, there is a. There, my there, argument I, I could certainly make. make is, a, I could certainly find a. I, I find a, a, a glaring difference between Kai and Zvi. Do you know what the glaring difference is? Zvi has a bazillion top 16, top 32s, and Kai has almost none. Sure. So, Kai, like. He's a top eight machine, sure. But if you just like rack up all of Zvi's top sixteens, top thirty twos, and top eights together versus Kai's top eights, top sixteens, top thirty twos, you're like, oh, top eights versus top eights, Kai's way better. When you start adding the sixteens and thirty twos, Zvi gets you, a bigger, you, bigger tonnage of, of of finishes than Kai. But you don't you don't think that you could look at top eights and top sixteens and say that someone is a match better, a win better. Like that, that there's some, there's I mean, some over the course of what if you add 20 top 16s and top 30s. I don't know what the sure, actual sure. delta is. I'm not going to tell you who pointed this particular statistic out to me between these two players, one of which is considered the greatest player of all time by some, and one is not even in the conversation. But when you start looking at the fact that like a match or two out over the course of a lifetime of pro tours, one of them doesn't look that much better than the other one anymore. Sure. Ability to win in the top eight is amazing, right? So you have players like Masashi Oiso. Or, or PV who make a lot of top eights, but don't necessarily. I mean, PV obviously has a win now, but don't cash in the that to be a win versus Kai who basically wins every time. <laughs> top eight. Sure. Um, 
but there is a significant difference there. And the difference is he won two more matches. Like, you know, he won three more matches. Uh, and that, that's kind of amazing. But if, if we if we use top eights as the cutoff, I, I think we lose a lot of what's significant here. Even look at a player like Raphael Levy is considered, like, he's kind of the short man on the totem pole you know in the Hall of Fame with, with two, you know two what, top though? eights. You know what, you he has know a lot of top 16s. You know, you know what the difference between a top eight and a top 16 are? Top Tens six. of thousands of dollars? Do you know what else it is? What? Winning in the first two rounds versus losing in the first two rounds, playing a softer field of opponents up, and certainly in the case of Rafael Levy. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's Rafael's career, right? Right, so. like Ra- Raf, just just looking at this last event where he finished, I think seventeenth or sixteenth, or it was higher than that. And he finished top sixteen, right? Yeah. And like, yeah, he won out to get into the top sixteen, but he lost out to put himself <laughs> in that position. He lost like multiple matches to start the event, and I mean, is that the re- fair? I mean, look. If you lose early, there's it might not be fair. It's not a fair game all the time. You know what I mean? I mean it's I mean not to not to conjure up some imago of my mother, you know, life's not fair. I, I mean I mean I'm just looking back at I was writing about this this uh, interaction I had with Alan Comer like ten years ago. When he was telling what I was like I think I lost a JLRR. I don't remember who I think it was Jay. And basically I had a very difficult decision. I only had one black mana and I really had this difficult decision I had to make. It's like I could duress him, or I know he has, like, a replenish in his hand, like, or or I could just wait on, like, uh, I think Ebony Charm to hit the the uh, enchantments in his graveyard. So I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to duress him, and then I'm going to hit the enchantments in his graveyard. Yeah. So, because, like, if he replenishes now, he's still going to get something. That's sure. That's the play I decided to make. So I duress him. I only have one black. I'm clocking him. I'm like, I think I'll win in, like, two more attacks or something. Uh, and he has nothing left. And he goes, top deck replenish play. So... Um, Alan's like, well, the bi- that's a big problem with black. To dress any card in their, in their hand, but not the card at the top of their deck. And the reason I re- it's, it's funny. I, I also remember Randy Bueller telling you this at Pro Tour Los Angeles when you played the black white deck. Yeah, I won that match though. No, no, I understand yeah. that. But you, you you played the black white deck, and it was just like you would attack their hand, attack their hand, and then they top that dragon storm. They would just top that dragon storm. They were just like, yeah, here's some card, and I'll kill you. And, Should have played blue. That's right. and, and and Randy's like, you know, that's the thing about decks, you know, Pro Tour Magic decks. They're filled with good cards. Yeah, I mean, in neither of those tournaments did I play a good deck. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but the I mean, I've learned my lesson. If I ever got to play on the Pro Tour again, I would play some cards this time. Uh, just kidding. I, I would play a black white mid range deck as always. Black white green. Oh God, green too. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So, heading back to what's Jermaine. In that tournament, Jamie Wakefield beat Alan Comer in the first round. He beat him with, you know, Green Secret Force, and Alan was playing Blue Secret Force. And they like, oh, Jamie beat Alan Comer in the first round of the match. One of them made top eight of that pro tour. It wasn't Jamie, you right. know? I, I, I just think that, I, I just think, like, you know, you lose, you win. I think we, we uh, heroify, I'm not sure what the right, the right verb is, Wins late because they're very dramatic, right? They determine who makes top eight. But wins are pretty much wins throughout the, the course. Like the first twelve rounds of the tournament are pretty much the same. Let me tell you something. When you, you know, there's people who get into the top eight in like on tiebreakers. There's people who miss on tiebreakers. You know, those are going to be close going down the stretch. Okay, yeah. the players who make the top eight have locked that in, that trajectory in early on day two and are playing monster magic. I've had enough times watching LSV get top eight. I mean, what about when I called Pierre Canale from, like, 
Yeah, like, with there's like eight times rounds to go, I'm like, that kid's winning the pro tour. There, there's times you just see players just locked in and on on track and just, you know, they're going to top eight. And then there's players who are, who are fighting. He was going to win the pro tour. <laughs> they're like, why? Who's that kid? I'm like, whoever that kid is, he's winning the pro tour. When I saw him beat the guy with Ravagers, <laughs> when I saw him, beat, the one guy with Ravagers, <laughs> when I saw him beat like Energy Flux in play on the third turn. I think it was against Oiso. Like, it was against, like, some insane famous Japanese player. There was an energy flow to play. It was the third turn. His opponent was dead. I'm like, that kid's one in the pro tour. I looked at the cyclist. I'm like, this isn't even a good affinity deck. <laughs> He's winning. Uh, as usual. Yeah. I, I should have just been doing Twitter pro tour drafts back then. Because I, I would have been <laughs> I would have been winning them then, too. And you would have invented Twitter, which would have been awesome. Oh, my God. I would be so... You know, I invented WordPress, right? <laughs> Ten years ago. But, like... Instead, my company went bankrupt instead of us weaponizing it. Altran and I laugh about that still. Yeah. Uh, ben Quintana, who uh, he used to play Magic, and then I, I think he works in Star Wars. So I was like, we, we, we made a, a content management so, uh, system for the dojo. It was basically WordPress. And then there was no more. I'm hoping I can share your good humor in the face of such things over the coming weeks. Uh, you know how, how many things that... <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. Uh, so... So we were just talking about top 16s and uh, I mean, their Hall of Fame balance. I just think that, I, and I'm obviously Kai's top 8s and wins, for that matter, are more valuable in every way than these top 16s and top 32s. But I don't think that they're so much more valuable that the average person gets to have an opinion about this and that they're they're like I mean, legitimate. And that Kai, like a Kai huge and they were there. both slam dunk Hall of Fame uh, I for both of them. I'm saying, but I'm saying they were both like, the differ- I, don't, I don't think the difference between them is that great in the minds I mean, of voters. I think that the, the way peop, most people look at the game, it's like, there's John and Kai and everybody Kai, else. Kai is the first or second most famous Magic player of all time. Right? I'm not even talking about best. I'm just talking about famous. Most famous, you think? Yeah. Even with this generation? Yeah. Yeah. Would just, you have said that five years ago? Five years five ago? Five years ago, yeah. Before Kai came back and after Kai had retired. Yes. Really? I think the most famous Magic player five years ago was Dave Williams. No. He was on television. No. Dave Dave is a famous person who plays Magic. He's not. A, he's not the most famous Magic player. It's, I, I. I know that. I know he's that. About I'm as funny. Magic player as you can be. I, I understand I that. You probably know Dave better than I do. I do, but the his dude, fame is not. The dude bleeds Magic cards. Yeah. Yeah, but his fame is not from Magic. From Magic. I mean, I know I'm splitting hairs. I mean, you know, I mean. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's probably the most famous Magic player then. I mean, Will Wheaton. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I mean the, this is a terrible line of discussion. Yeah. <laughs> enough. Enough with this. I mean, I'm not... Indy's all the world's most famous Dungeons & Dragons player. I'm not I'm not taking anything away from Kai when I say that. I'm just... Instead, I'm trying to contextualize something, which is to say, I think we overrate top eights in how we, we look certainly, at someone. Certainly, certainly, I would say... Like, I would say more accurately, we underrate. 9th through 16th oh, okay. and 17th through 32nd. I mean, I think 17th is such a heartbreaking position to be in, right? Yeah. Like, you're basically top 16, but you're top 32. So much worse, right? If you, I mean, that's why I was looking at it like... I think that a lot of people would look at look at Osa versus Heezy because their resumes are so similar. They're so similar. In terms of, like, both of them are best deck designer in the world for a stretch. Both of them are won a pro tour. Both of them multiple top eights. 
both considered constructed specialists but also have success in limited. You know, both of them perform at the Grand Prix, Grand Prix level. Both of them wrote articles for various websites. In fact, the same different various websites. Right. You know, I, I'm friends with both of them. You know, both of them are Americans. Like they're like very very similar. Especially you know when I look at it, and I think the average looker at it would be like, oh, Mark has four Pro Tour top eights. He's just better. I mean, I think Osip actually has an overall better better resume. But Mark has, I mean, but the fourth top eight is really, really significant in this sure, case. Sure, I mean, because I think we just look at top eights and we hold them to this huge, huge pedestal. I mean, there's somebody, like, you can't ignore Shuey's number of top eights. It's a pretty big number of top right. eights. And the thing that's insane about it is his, like, percentage of making top eight is, like, right, and he also, and he very, also, and he also has national team. He also has... In Japan. How hard is that? <laughs> who, go, who is he on national team with? Kenji Samura? How many pro tours has that guy won? Was it, was it Kenji Samura yes. and you, you Watanabe? <laughs> was, was Watanabe the third on his team? I don't... I, I, I'm 95% sure he was on, a, he was on a, a, a national team with Kenji Samura, and I just kept... I didn't bother reading who the champion was that year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you remember when you and you went, like, 11th in, in pro tour draft? You're just like... Randomly, just like hanging out there, like, oh, nobody took him. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, yeah, like and Shuei also has you know Player of the Year, which is a again. I think when uh, can I vote for Kenji? Because I can't wait next year. I'm writing his name down right now. Yeah, really, it's like I think next year is Kenji, LSV, and Paulo all come on the ballot at the same time. Yeah. So if you're not, this year is the catch-up year. <laughs> so if you're not, it's not a lot. I think Oiso might be on the ballot too. Kenji and Oiso are the same year. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that Oiso is not going to make it then. <laughs> you look at Oiso's numbers. People have short memories, dude. I, I will, I will, I will go out and beat. Let me tell you. Look, let me tell you some Japanese guys who are listening. All of you, ha. You, you go out and vote for Steve OMS this year. <laughs> We're voting for Oiso. <laughs> I will make sure we all vote for Oiso. Neil? I mean, I'm not taking anything away from Oiso. I'm just saying, people don't have long yeah, memories. Is seven? He has like a hundred. But yeah. no win. He never won a match in the top eight, though. Yeah, well, he, he got to the finals of Yoga. All right, he won two matches in, in seven yeah. top eights. Um, uh, I then passed the red deck to Jeffrey Cerrone in London. <laughs> and... <laughs> I, I, all I remember is the bluff versus double bluff against uh, <laughs> against Neil Reeves. <laughs> he's just like Neil's just like, you got an orbs shit, and then he's just like, all right, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I don't know who I was talking to the other day, and they said that we make too big a deal of that. They're like, that's the only play you can make. No, it's not. Yeah, it's really not the only play you okay. can make. Okay. Also, people say stuff like that, but when you're actually in the situation. It's not the only play you can make. People start seeing a lot of things as being possible. Now, I, I asked... I, and by the way, the player who said it might have been as good as Neil Reeves. So it might be obvious to him. We're not as good as Neil no, Reeves. I, mean, like, uh, I talked to Antoine about the bluff against Kenji. He's like, I had to make that play. I was dead to a psychotalk. He's, like, he's just like... Yeah. You know, like the force play play, which is everyone's favorite, you know. Yeah, it's... it's set up bluff, it's so great. But he's like, I had to make that play. I had no other way to stop a psychotalk. And the fact that Kenji fell for it is... I, I was talking to Patrick about this. No one even believes that Patrick bluffed Neil Reeves in the top eight of that Grand Prix. 
Where he kept the all the all man a hand. I, I was staring at it. I'm like, he has to mulligan his hand. It's awful. And like, he's looking at it for so long. And I'm like, oh, he's just tanking to make Neil think he's thinking he's going to mulligan. And then he, when he goes keep, I'm like, all right. And then like 20 minutes later, he's won the match. <laughs> he next leveled the greatest bluffsman in magic. Right. Neil just assumed he had a handful of gas and so wasn't doing anything the problem, because he wanted to keep yeah. his mana open for... Yeah, so he kept playing mana. The problem was, Neil assumed that Patrick had opposition, right? So when Patrick played compulsion, Neil had to let it in under the same theory that you have with the with the Oiso play, right? So he's yeah. like, I gotta let it in. It's just like the Orbs chant. Well, except for the problem is, Patrick didn't have anything, but right. the compulsion made it so that he had a perfect hand. Right, right, right. Because right. all he had was mana, so he just traded in his mana for gas. And his gas was like Baskin Rewallas and Arrogant Worms and War of the Worms. <laughs> <laughs> I love compulsion. You would. Card drawing, free threats. God, who plays that crap? You know, Patrick thought that we should have to ban Roar the Worm after Quiet Speculation was like, you look up at the old coverage, he's like, yeah. Quiet Speculation is going to make this card too strong. You know who else was insane about Z was also all over Quiet Speculation. He thought it was degenerate. Now, I remember thinking he was really good too. Now look at we have Garrick the <laughs> Garrick the five casting guy just spits that out right so good some six sixes here they are right yeah he just walks by puts a finger alongside alongside one nostril <laughs> and then blows a six six <laughs> out like, the other here it goes <laughs> what do you want some lands some cards we got you whatever you green, need green has card drawing now you're gonna play green this no, year you're not you are totally playing no, green no no no, no. rampant cross is back you know what they did for me. They fixed it. They gave me Psalm Simulacrum so I could get the green-like abilities without actually having to play green. <laughs> that's like my favorite card that's in the set. And it, uh, uh, What I decided to write about this week is just, because it's Corset Week, yeah. I actually just wanted to write about the impact of this particular card from the Corset and also like, like a brief history of Psalm Simulacrum. Because like I said, people have short memories. I don't think they realize how insane Psalm Simulacrum has always been. First of all, it's inaugural Pro Tour, it was in the the finals decks on both sides of the table. In a pro tour, you could play Affinity. Right. It was in both decks. That's one. Oh, was, the, what was the final? Big Red versus yeah, 12 uh, Post? Kuroda versus, uh, versus Nasif. It was on both sides. And you could play Affinity, but Solemn Simulacrum was the artifact that was on both sides, not Ravager. Um, then at U.S. Nationals that year, five of the top eight decks played it, and that's not five of eight decks. And that's not even the insane thing. They were like three or four different strategies. Right. All playing Solemn Simulacrum. And it's been good in like, you know, Kakusho Death Cloud decks, and it's been good in Burn decks, and it's been good in just a regular control deck. Right. It's just so good. And, and as we saw this past weekend, it appeared in two different strange places in Japanese nationals, both Valakut and... I haven't, really, I haven't really looked at the decks yet, but... Yeah, so Valakut and... Um, well, in Valakut, you can play it on turn three pretty easily, right? It's, it's basically in the... Oracle Moldias. I, 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 I'm actually thinking about this a lot. How often is a Psalm Simulacrum actually better than an Oracle Moldias? I bet Oracle Moldias is actually typically better than Psalm Simulacrum at the same cost. Because, like, say you play it, right? And there's sure. a land. Or you, you don't even have a land. You have, like, one on top. Or, I'm sorry, in your hand. Just running it out there is basically the same as when you thought. And if you get any extra bonus over the course of the next tur turn or two, it's just better than the, you know, one one thaw and draw up. Or, for example, say you play it on, with four mana already in play, and there's you know, a Halimar Depths or two lands on top of your deck. It's already better than a Psalm Simulacrum you haven't even passed yet. I think that's actually an interesting tension. But the fact that you can play Psalm Simulacrum in, like, black-blue, play it in, like, green-white, 
I think it's awesome in green white. I have him, four of him, and four Archon of Justice in my green white deck. Well, I mean, also think about it like Fetchlands are, you know, gearing up for their final curtain in standard. Maybe. Maybe, assuming they're not in Innistrad. I mean, they're. They have to. It's, I think it's it's challenging. How are they going to sculpt the game away from being all this multicolor stuff? I would like to see... Clearly, Solemn Simulacrum is not a step no, no, in that no, direction. No, it is not. I mean, uh, one of the things I want to point out from that U.S. Nationals that had five Solemn Simulacrum decks in the top eight, it was used in multiple decks as just the thaw to get your one swamp. So right. you use the cranial extraction. And, like, red decks and blue decks basically getting a green functionality of sure. literally the one swamp to, to cranial extract. It's so cool. Well, and, 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 you know, it's always been an... Decks like mono black decks, swamps have always mattered. Yeah, and you played in a deck. You're like, hmm, an extra swamp would be awesome here. And, and you like know? The, the what I, we've all we talked about before is like the three to four to six. You know, you're like it goes four straight to six when you have solemn simulacrum, and then for cards like Kakusha or in the modern era, uh, is this the modern era? I don't know when the modern era is. People keep talking about the modern era on Twitter. I, I don't know what the difference is. It, it, like, modern era is everything post Meriden. Post-Meridan? Is yeah, modern, modern, modern era, I believe, is defined as no, no, new borders. People, people talk about magic in the modern... I mean, magic in the modern era is defined by new borders, I believe. I, I mean, what about post-Ravnica? Why don't we draw a different arbitrary? I don't know, because the modern format is mirrored and forward, right? That's why. <laughs> so, anyway, I mean, you can, you can tighten up. You know, four to six gives you a tight sure. spot. So, I think that card's real good. Uh, I think that that's worth celebrating. Um, what do you think about my decision to not not talk about my actual ballot? I mean, I understand the decision. It's hard for me. I mean, I'm about the most vocal person ever in terms I, of ballot. I've decided I'm going to be pretty public about talking about I've my ballot. I've always been in past. I, I've always been public about sharing my ballot, but I haven't talked my way through the decision. And, like, I was just in a couple of discussions today online where I'm like, okay, this is where I'm at. These three are locked. I'm pretty sure Chapin's my fourth. Um... You know, number five is up in the air. And, like, I could easily... I could go Ikeda, Easy, Osip. I mean, I thought I locked my ballot a week ago, and then I actually just looked the stats, and yeah. I'm like, this is... I still, I I still haven't... I still haven't, I still haven't done the the big... You know what's... You know Anyone what's, who looks at the stats has to vote for Anton. It, it's just ludicrous. Well, I mean, I've been, I've been an Anton advocate for a while. This is the other thing that bothered me about it when I was looking at it. I voted for Jensen several times, and then I stopped voting for Jensen when new people came on. But a lot of people who came on who are, in my opinion, Hall of Fame worthy, Jensen's just got a better resume than most of them. And I think that it's it's kind of wonky that a lot of people who have similar friend circles, maybe even similar friend circles to Billy back in the day, are going to vote for them because they're new, new and shiny. Sure. And then they stopped voting for Billy or never voted for him. And he's got, like, Ben Rubin was not a slam dunk in. But Billy's just got a better resume than Ben Rubin, and Ben Rubin's in, and Billy's not. Like, well, I mean, I think I think Ben Rubin has intangibles that Billy didn't as a deck designer. And... Jensen was also a great deck designer. He was like one year off in terms of like which people were voting and and popularity and stuff. Like, you know, Rubin and Jensen worked together on the green white deck. You know? Sure, and that they credited each other. You know, you know who's someone who who's fallen off the ballot, who I think is also like. Someone who was Ryuichi Arita. Ryuichi Arita's got a. Uh, I, I know when I was talking to Chapin about how the whole no thing, one ever he has four top eights. No one ever voted for him. How about Kyle Rose? Kyle Rose fell off the ballot. I mean, four top eights, a win, a Nationals team. Kyle Rose was, and in fact, if you want to like make a list of the good men of Magic, 
No one I have ever known has ever said a word about anything but nice things about Kyle Rose. See, I didn't think that's where you were going with that guy. I, I, I never, inter- I've never interacted with Kyle, Kyle Rose other than minimally. He was always very taciturn when I when I when I saw him at events. Yeah, but not I'm a not, soul ever said anything yeah. bad about Kyle Rose. The dude played white weenie whenever you could. <laughs> but I mean, but he was obviously. I mean, like his resume. Just put his resume up against four top eights. Really? He has four top eights and a win. Yeah, I remember the win. In constructed in singles, you know, which is a big thing, you know, if you want to distinguish. His win was constructed. Oh, no, no, I'm no, sorry. No, I'm London. sorry. I'm sorry. Wayne win in single, so I meant is what I was trying to say, not constructed. He won London. Yeah. Uh, but he also has a Nationals, right? Is he, is I that, that one. Yeah. So That's it's, the one that I got screwed out of top eight. Yeah. I would have won the Nationals that year. Yeah. Do you look at that top eight? Other than the fact that... He's got the GP win. He's got some GPs. I mean, he's not on the ballot. I don't know that he's ever gotten, like, 5% of the vote. He's just had an objectively better resume than a lot of Americans. I mean, he's he's obviously got a, gra- a, really, a like, good resume. You, you, I don't I don't see how you can. But, but there's tangible voting it's for not some people just, that you really like. It's not just the numbers. It's Nancy. not just the numbers. There's, it's sort of like pornography, right? Like you when, like it when you see it. Like well, you know it when you see it. Like I mean, fame is is sort of intangible when you're talking about the pro tour. Like it, it's, yeah, that's it's, what, it's very hard. That's to, what Aaron always says, you know, it's, it's not, very it's hard not to the hall of being a nice guy, right? You know, it's. So, uh, you know, but uh, I it's think, gonna be, it's gonna I think Patrick's going to make it in this year. I, I do too. I mean, like the fourth top eight is is he didn't re- he might not have even need, although he had fallen off the ballot. Interestingly, from last year to this year, no, but his, he had fallen off the ballot, but was auto auto reinstated. But your ongoing pro tour yeah. accumulation of top of, uh, of pro tour points keeps you on the ballot. Correct. Yes, he's on a handful of players who were off the ballot, reinstated on the ballot. This year, yeah, I think I think he's going to make it. I think he's like, like basically he he basically hits community out of the park further than anybody else. In I mean, the, he hits fame out of the park. And yeah, 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 on this ballot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not the most famous Magic player ever, but he's the most famous player eligible this yeah. year. I, I think Shuhei's close. Right honestly, I, people people love Shuhei. He gets you know, he's got, but. I agree that Patrick is the Patrick by, is the by machine far, behind him. Yeah. Shu, I mean, fine. I agree. People like Shuei. People also like Patrick, and Patrick has a gigantic pedestal with a rocket ship underneath it. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I think, a, a step difference. You know. Yeah, yeah. That's what Pat always says to me. He's like, "Hey, can we get you the other ninety-eight pro tour points you need? Because I'm pretty sure you'd make it in." <laughs> and I'm like, I'm "Like, yeah. You think I can swing it with fifty percent of the American vote, none of Europe, <laughs> Japan?" <laughs> He's like, "I think we could get there." Only, only need like ninety eight com- points. Community, community goes a long way. I mean, you know, it does. It, it's rare that the Hall of Fame discussion goes by without someone saying, "Oh, Mike should be in the Hall of Fame." You know. Yeah, I mean, but I honestly, mean, shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. No offense, Dave. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, it's not the Hall of Nice Guy or the Hall of Well, thank God, jerk. Because then you'd be completely <laughs> disqualified. It's not the Hall of Jerk. Um, you know, I, I, I think, uh, I really would like to see. A handful of non-magic players, not inducted. But it's not the magic hall. Of Fame, it's I understand. Magic Pro Tour it, and, and listen to me. This is why I would like to see this handful of players inducted yeah. into the Pro Tour Hall of Fame. That handful of people are Richard Garfield, Scaff Elias, and Peter Atkinson, who all combined to have the foresight to like both yeah. foster this game and, and have to have a Pro Tour and to like put this game forth as like a a, a 
an intellectual contest. I think Scat is about the most underrated person. In the I agree. I agree. I would, and in fact, if I had to pick only one of those three to go in, pick I would Scap. pick Scat for the Pro Tour Hall of Fame ahead of the other two. Agreed. I don't think it's close. Yeah. Because also, Adkinson and Garfield get so much more uh, adulation anyway, and yeah. accolades for other things anyway. Yeah. Versus Scaff actually had the idea of the Magic Pro Tour Hall of Fame. I mean, it was the Magic Pro Tour. Yeah. Yep, yep. He probably had the idea of the Pro Tour Hall of Fame as well. I, we, we don't know. Yeah. He was at the first ceremony. He came in as one of John's guests. I mean, I'm a big fan of Scaff. Yeah, yeah, same. Same. So, all right. We're going to break, see if this was... Uh, no, no, we're not going to see how wind shear it was. We're just going to post it. We're just going to post it. Yeah. Uh. All right. Good. That's what I was going to do. <laughs> All right. Any anything you want to anyone you want to say about like regular magic, not just magic commentary? Any decks you think are interesting or anything like that? I have not looked at the decks from this past weekend yet. Although I found the lack of red decks to be notable. Speaking of which, the green white deck in Japanese top eight, uh, national top eight apparently Siyoshi made it. That's what I heard. That's I heard that also. It has one birthing pod. It doesn't sound like Shiyoshi. Mys. I, I, I just, I mean, a green-white deck with one birthing pot does not sound like a Fujita deck. It has a ton of 2-2s two for five. This is not the Fujita that I know. Yeah. I did see, I did see uh, something on Star City. I didn't read the article, but it was like Medina is like, I think birthing pot is a good investment. It's like, oh, really? You think? I think it was a good investment like two months ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, come on. Cards obviously does things that are broken in it's magic. Just, I mean, who's, who's Jace, who's Jace now? I think Birthing Pot is Jace now. Really? Yeah. I mean, Michael Jacob made the argument that costs four, draws a card every turn. If your opponent doesn't deal with it, he gets insurmountably behind. Like, so many of the matches... I I tested a lot of Birthing Pot this week. So many of the matches come down to cards like... uh, I didn't play with Phyrexian Metamorph in my deck, but I consider it now. Basically, people just Metamorph your Birthing Pot, so they have a Birthing Pot. Right. Which is really interesting, right? Or, like, Metamorphing each other and Birthing Potting each other, and, like... Like, it, it's almost like versus system. Like, I have a 7. Like, I had a 7, but... Um, so I thought I was going to win, and, like, Smitty had two Frost Titans. <laughs> so I'm like, oh... It, he just kept... I mean, the fact that I had to hard cast a 7 is humiliating enough, right? Right. But he got, like, an Acidic Slime, an Arc Trail from my bird. I had to use my Tectonic Edge to keep him off of red. Like, all this stuff keeping me off of 7, despite the fact that I had 7... Like, available by, like, turn three, but I just didn't have it all in play at once. So eventually I'm like, I'm like, oh, and he's like, Frost Titan, so it keeps me up for another turn. And I'm like, Elshnor, and he's like, second Frost Titan. And I'm like, oh, man, I, he could not possibly survive my swing back. I have Elshnor in play. And instead he just locks me in and kills me. He's double, double four four Frost Titan. You know, you know what I was thinking about? Something you could do in, uh, with Birthing Pod is, first of all, you can go, you can go two, Sack a two. Yeah. You can go get Deceiver Exarch. Yeah. Untap your Birthing Pod and go get a four. Yeah. And your four could be... I mean, sacrificing the the, uh, the Deceiver Exarch is dicey, though. Hold on. Your, your four is um, Entumor Exarch. Oh, the rebuy re- re- guy? rebuys yeah. you your Deceiver Exarch, and then you sack your Entumor so Exarch. Go get Heart Beast. I mean, I don't know. Maybe people are already doing this. People talk about stuff like that, but I think that's too fancy. You know why? Because you can just go spell skite, and then you just do your regular stuff with your birthing pot, and they're like sitting there with their heart beast and their tumor exarch, and and they're like, oh, I still have to beat your (laughs) spell skite. And then you're just beating them with a solemn simulacrum. And the card that I really like is uh, Archon of Justice. Yes. Yeah, I wonder. Where'd you hear about that card? uh, On the Copy Magic podcast? Is it? I, I, I just kept thinking about this Grand Prix that Jerry T won a few years ago. No, no, for real. Like, it's, you know, uh, it's funny, the second half of your deck is, like, the first half is, like, you know, 
Blackbird, Wall of Omens, you know, typical, you know, Blade Splicer, or um, the Utabi Orangutan with Poison, whatever is that guy's name is. So, like, all 187s or, like, the Burger Elf, which are not 187s because you got to play them. Sure. So then you're like, all right, these guys, like, value when they come in. But then the second half of your deck is value when they leave. Right, right. <laughs> like, Psalm Simulacrum, <laughs> Argot of Justice, um, Worm Coil Engine... And like the thing is like you have a worm coil engine and a lot of, not a lot of people have a seven. So there's like, oh, you know, it's just gonna come down to Titan versus Worm Coil Engine or whatever, and you're like Titan typically beats Worm Coil Engine heads up, you're like, sack it for two five fives. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, uh and they never survive that turn because if you have any guys in play, you're gonna it's basically an overrun. And so their guys are all dead. I know it was very windy in the last podcast, yeah. but I described this entire chain to you, right down to the two five fives. No, no, I'm taking credit for it. <laughs> Do I, I, I know it was very windy and you couldn't hear me. Do I really have to write about how you... I'll write about how you invented it. High five, high five. <laughs> All right, this has been Top 8 Magic, short cast. This is Michael J. Flores. BDM, bye.